What this is really about is the government shirking responsibility for why we are where we are. I am a teacher. I've worked in education for 15 years in London. Children that I have taught have been killed. Children that I have taught have killed. The reason that we are where we are, and it isn't going to be remedied by the Premier League or extra drama classes, is because we have had millions of pounds worth of cuts to preventative early intervention services that are vital for young people in this country. And the fact that Sadie Javid said that this week, I thought was a, it was on April the 1st, I thought it was an April Fool's joke because the, the disregard that our government has for people who are on the ground doing this work, who know why we are where we are, to, to suggest that teachers and nurses who already do all of this anyway could be in some way further responsible for the fact that children are killing each other because there is nothing left for many of those children in society is disgraceful and it says a lot about our government that our government doesn't, doesn't trust us you can shrug your shoulders, and that's the point, isn't it? That we've got people in government who do. They shrug their shoulders, they mm, tell us what reality is for us, for people who are doing the jobs, and then they come out with sound bites like, oh, teachers and nurses, you can identify people who are at risk, and if not, you'll be accountable. It's disgraceful. This is why the government is not fit for purpose anymore. Hello, and welcome to Power Talk Season 3, the Lockdown Edition, Episode 8. Power Talks are short, powerful interviews from leading youth violence experts, spreading new ideas and sharing best practice. For more information on the work our charity Power to Fight does, and to discover how you can help empower communities to end youth violence, please visit our website, www.powertofight.org.uk. And if you enjoyed today's content, please consider donating to our charity to keep this content free. Power Talk today interviews an inner city London teacher who talks about her experience engaging with young people and youth violence. Excellent. Well, welcome to another episode of Power Talk. And today we are joined by somebody who I've got a lot of respect for, who I've seen from afar. Um, and she's a teacher in South East London. So... Eleanor, would you like to just introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, So I'm Eleanor. Um, I'm a teacher. Um, I'm a secondary school teacher. I am from South East London. I've worked in schools for about, um, I I was trying to think about this last night. I think I qualified as a teacher just after I turned 22. So uh, quite young. I didn't really know. I thought I knew loads and I didn't know anything. Um, And so I've been teaching in London for about 15 years, um, only in um, secondary schools in London, in state schools. I've worked in Lambeth and in Hackney mostly. um, And now I work in Tower Hamlets. So um, I think what what some commentators might describe as boroughs with challenge. Um, I, I, I prefer to say boroughs with challenge than challenging boroughs because it, it, it means something different to me, challenging boroughs. But yeah, boroughs that have challenge within them and um, children that need a lot of support. That's, that's great. And you came on my radar because um, one of the things about Power Talk is that I always try and get as many people from the sector to talk on their perspective on youth violence, uh, solutions, best practices. But you came on my radar about a year ago um, because of quite an interesting exchange you had on Question Time. Um, And uh, do you want to just explain? Because I I, I watched this and I was like, whoa, okay, this teacher's not having any of it. She's she's going in, she's really uh, making a point about the teacher perspective around yeah. kind of trying to engage him with this youth violence issue. Do you want to just explain that whole kind of, yeah. kind of how you got into that and what did you actually say? Um, so it was, yeah, it was about a year ago because it was quite close to, to my birthday and we've just gone past that now. And, and it was, um, it was in response to a, um, an announcement, I think that Sajid Javid made on the 1st of April, which was sort of uh, interestingly timed because it was, 
such a ridiculous statement that he made that on April Fool's Day I thought it was um, possibly a bit of a joke and it was about teachers and um, nurses being held accountable for um, not spotting the early signs of, of youth violence in children and, and basically in increasing the accountability of, of teachers and nurses more than, than, than we already are accountable, which is a huge amount. Um, and it was a typical kind of government soundbite um, to, in my opinion, as, as, as a practitioner who, who's, been, who, who, who's worked with children for, like I said, 15 years, um, to, to um, divert everyone's attention away from um, some of the reasons that we are in the situation that we're in with regards to youth violence and, and hold up public sector workers as being um, people that need to kind of shoulder the burden more than they already are doing, which is a huge amount already. So it made me really cross. It made me very sad. It was more um, of the same, in my opinion, um, just to not engaging with, with the reasons for um, the massive upturn that we've seen in, in youth violence in in London and, and the rest of the f England um, and then so I went on question time and um, I put a question I wrote a question about about youth violence which didn't get chosen um, but then somebody else asked a very similar question so I thought oh this is my time if I don't say something now and so the the minister um who was on at the time from the government made a made a statement um it was very ill-informed it was the normal sort of thing that you get from lots of politicians who have no idea about the realities out there in the real world um and so then i made my point that actually the reason that youth violence is in my opinion at a, at a peak is because we have seen many many years of of savage cuts to public sector in particular education charities early intervention, all of the things, all of the building blocks that, that you need in a, in, a, in a functioning society to support young people. And it's very easy to point the finger at teachers, nurses, doctors, whatever, police, to a certain degree, um, rather than engage with um, taking responsibility for, for the effects of those cuts. So um, I, I was really cross. I was, I was, I was, there was a point when I was talking where I thought that I might burst into tears, which is not like me at all, uh, because I was because I was really um, emotional about it. I've 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 seen young people. Um, we I've I've taught young people who have died, as I said in, in in on question time, and I've taught young people who have committed really horrific, violent um, offences as well. All of them children, mm -hmm. um, and all of them um, children who who um, need huge amounts of support and love. So it, it's something that is very um, important to me. Yeah, I mean, and your passion definitely came across yeah. in, in that in short soundbite. Um, yeah. And I think it was amazing because I think what we don't tend to really understand is the pressure which teachers are on, um, mm. under. Definitely, in my experience, I have um, unfortunately worked with multiple young people who have lost their lives or their families, but yeah. um, I've also spoken to a lot of the teachers who taught them yeah and um yeah you guys are going through trauma you guys um have loved and nurtured uh these these young people and then but we don't get to often talk about mm. how do you um recover how do you heal um mm. where do you get your support and supervision so you've already mentioned that you've um worked with uh taught children who are both perpetrators and, and maybe victims yeah i think there is a fine line between what is a victim and a perpetrator just to be clear. Uh, com yeah completely um, kind of just talk us through the experiences how how did you manage to continue uh what kind of happens when uh, unfortunately a situation like this when a young person might lose their life or get seriously injured yeah. how, how do teachers kind of kind of just continue to work in in that context um well, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, my, I, I, I will speak to, to the journey that I've had as a teacher. And I think for some teachers, it will seem um, completely alien, depending on where they're working. And other teachers, it, it, it probably um, chimes and rings true. So, like I said, I, I qualified as a teacher when I, just shortly after I turned 22. I was quite young. Um, I grew up in southeast London. I grew up in a, in a council flat in New Cross. I went to a selective but not a private school. I benefited massively 
from education. I was the first person in my family to go to university. So education was really important to me um, because I could see, I experienced, I benefited from from the effects of education. I also had a, a really supportive family, which is, is, is another thing I'll come on to. Um, but I wanted to go into teaching because I wanted to support young people um, and I like working with young people. Um, I took a job when I first qualified at a school in um, Lambeth. It was it's in a triangle between Kennington, Stockwell, and the Oval. Um, I think maybe on like minute two or three of starting the job, I realised that my teacher training had not prepared me in any way, shape, or form for the job that I was about to undertake. And obviously, there's a huge dropout rate of teachers. You know, if you look at the statistics of teachers in the UK in in England, um, a lot of teachers quit very quickly. Um, and a lot of teachers that I qualified with quit very quickly, um, and I and I didn't, um, and I stayed. But my experience of working in that school was it became obvious to me that my job as a teacher to teach English, that's what I was qualified to do, was a um, tiny part of what I was going to have to do and actually came secondary to all of the other stuff that needed to happen first. So a lot of the children, that, all of the children that I worked with in that school were had had significant challenges in their life some had come as unaccompanied minors to the UK as refugees uh, there were some that were living in uh, families where there was intergenerational um, offending um, and they were exposed to that um, and they all grew up in the um, area around the school which which is um, an area that has very high levels of crime and deprivation so um, my exposure to youth violence from a from a teaching perspective um, I, I had experience of that growing up in the area that I grew up in you know on the seeing that around me but my experience of it as a teacher was was um, fairly fairly quick and and in my first teaching job and we had children in that school who were known to the youth offending system children who came and went um because they were in and out of um youth youth offending um institutions and and children who um were coming from families where offending was was um a reality for them so that was my first sort of exposure to that and I, i found it very difficult um i found it really hard to um keep going every day um, and there wasn't a massive amount of support in terms of kind of formal support for, for staff there isn't there isn't formal support for staff there's not psychological support for staff in that way um, but the staff within the school were very supportive of one another and I just carried on because I, I, I was passionate about about working with those young people and and I um my other aspects of my life just went on hold. I didn't really have a life for many years. Um, and I was thinking about how hard I worked at the time. I, I definitely couldn't do that now with my own family. And I think that's another thing around teaching and, and why teaching people burn out. Um, so that's how it started for me. And then I went into working in Hackney and, and I went into working in a big secondary school in Hackney um, in, a, in a, another very challenging borough part of the borough um and again at both of those schools particularly the second one um there were high, high levels of um youth violence and, and we would feel that within the school the effects of that um and the children you know would would bring um that into the school in terms of what you know their reality and what, what life was like for them but i think for me and, and again, I, I speak to my own experiences and my own views on, on education, and, and this isn't the case, I think, for all teachers, for sure, um, is that most teachers go into, in my experience, most teachers go into, into teaching um, because they uh, hopefully, not always, but hopefully, um, like children. I went into teaching because I, I love children and I feel like all, all children um, need love. Um, and they need that through school as well as out in the, in, in the wider um, world. Um, but teaching is a very difficult job. Um, and I think in this country, and thinking about it in the context of, of, of youth violence, and I was thinking about this a lot last night, I've, I've just started doing a master's in inclusive education, and I, I'm focusing mostly on um, children with emo- social and emotional um, difficulties. And actually, children in this country... Um, are uh, 
if you look at studies into uh, well-being and, and, and child well-being and happiness children in this country regularly uh, poll very 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 low on those um, studies so um, UNICEF's uh, issue um, they do research into child well-being and happiness quite regularly and and children in England um, do very badly in in, in that regard um, and there are many reasons why actually children in this country shouldn't do so badly we're a pretty pretty wealthy country relative to the rest of the world. There's lots of things that, that children could benefit from, but, but actually children in this country, reality for them and outcomes for a lot of children is quite poor. And my view on what makes teaching so difficult in terms of supporting youth violence and how teaching kind of fits in, is really to do with how teaching as a profession and education as a, as a system is quite politicised in this country. So if you look at other countries where education works really well and children are very happy and there's lower levels of youth violence, obviously there are lots of things that that feed into that and there are lots of components that, that need to be right to make um, children's lives successful and, and to reduce youth violence. One of the things that's, that's very specific to this country, I think, compared with some of those other countries where things work a little bit better is that education in this country changes to fit the um, ideological perspectives of whichever government we have in, um, in power at the time. And that's quite interesting because as a teacher, it means that you have to jump to the demands of a government um, as and when they decide. So the Minister for Education may decide that all children who are eight years old need to learn all of the names of the kings and queens of England. And that goes into a um, curriculum and you have to get with that programme. Um, so there is, a, there is massive pressure in that, in that sense. And, and, and then it creates a tension between um, fulfilling those responsibilities, but also at the same time, doing all of the other things you need to do as a teacher in terms of supporting the, the emotional well-being of, of the young people in your care, which has to come, has to come first. Uh, but actually, there's very little time for that. Well, that's the point, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I think that's a, a really important point that the emotional well-being of, of a young person should be a priority. But because of what you've just described in terms of the pressure from the government, Ofsted, whatever, to deliver this curriculum, mm. actually, I can imagine that coming right down. The, the it does. I mean, I think without sort of wanting to make it too um, theory-based, you know, our education system, the way the education system works in the UK, is it's a competition-based system. So children from a very, very young age are ranked, um, and they're ranked because that's how the government in this country decides to hold schools accountable. So in order to check that teachers are doing a good job and schools are doing a good job, schools need to be inspected. Uh, this is our government's view. This is not the view everywhere. Um, and in order to inspect schools, you need some kind of uh, performance data to rank to ranked schools. Um, and in order to do that, we test and rank children continuously from the minute they enter school to the minute they leave school. So it is a strongly competition-based system in this country, um, which puts massive pressure on young people. Um, and actually, from a, from a teaching and learning perspective, um, there's, no, there's no evidence that that um, works better in terms of in terms of children learning than, than other systems so there are other systems in the world um where um, it's it's not competition based in that way and children actually do do much better if you look at the if you look at the outcomes so from from the perspective of teaching children who are coming to you with lots of other unmet needs or lots of needs that need to be continuously met within school if the focus is always on um uh, educational attainment outcome um, competition-based assessments. Who's come? You know, who, who's done the best? Uh, who gets above a certain um, baseline um, to mean that you're making progress or that you're, you know, above average, average, below average, whatever. Um, then, as a if you're a child coming into that system, um, actually that can be very damaging. Um, if you're a child coming into that system who already has lots of other challenges 
then then school's going to be a very difficult place. Um, and school is a very difficult place for lots of young people uh, because um, lots of their needs can't be met because there is so much focus on on um, testing and, and, and competition. Um, I, I mean, I think I were, I'm a secondary school teacher. So for me, um, without sort of sounding too um, fatalistic about it, for me, I um, would see children coming in in year seven at age 11 so having had quite a long time in primary school and a long time out in the world uh, for things to, to, for needs to go un, unmet. Um, and you see children coming in at 11 and you can predict, I think, as a teacher fairly, fairly well, which of those children are going to end up being children that end up being excluded, which of those children are going to be children that may be vulnerable to going into the criminal justice system um, and so on. And I think, that, I think that's incredibly sad. That at 11, you yeah. can see children coming in, and as a teacher, you can you can already identify children where things have 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 not have not been in place for them. Yeah. Um, and obviously, how do you, you make sure though that? Because I remember my experience at school, um, so I grew up in Southeast London as well, um, and I'll never forget. And I still got my you know, shows how old I am. I still got my national record of achievement folder. I have as well. <laughs> I'm old school, right? So, um, and I remember my head teacher, who never taught me, never ever taught me, but somehow wrote like this report on me, and it was like, you know, Ben, um, well, he's probably not. I think it was something like he's probably not. Um, academic enough to go to university um, but I would imagine like a vocational kind of yeah. qualification will be better for him and I remember reading that at 16 thinking hmm I've never, you've never taught me yet you've come to that conclusion you've, you know you've yeah. put me into a bracket and you know it was a bizarre thing or maybe it pushed me to go to university I don't know but it was just one of these things where I get it when you, just, when you say you know, we can predict stuff. Yeah. Suppose the question is, what then do you do to try and counter that? Yeah. How hard is it? I mean, this is a real conversation. How hard, how hard is it for teachers not to then stereotype? Very hard. <laughs> and, and have like, well, that kid's from this particular background or that particular, you know, so they're going to end up, the equation is you're from that background, yeah. got this particular vulnerability equals you end up academically yeah. in a good place how do you how do you break that stereotype and what type of things do you, yeah you know it's a challenge isn't it it is a challenge i think i think um i think it's a bit more complicated than that i think as teachers you see children coming in and when I say you can predict, what I mean, what I mean by that is not that as a teacher you um, think, oh, oh, well, you know, that child, well, this is what I think is going to happen to that child. So, um, you know, I'm powerless to do anything about that. And, and that's just what's written, written for that child's future. But I definitely think that as a teacher, especially at secondary school, where obviously you've got to bear in mind that at secondary school, this is where you start seeing um, exclusion rates really peak for children. And then there's a whole um pathway that that lots of those children then end up going down for from you know going to Prus etc um where i have also had experience of working um and i think as a teacher you see pathways that children are, are more likely to go down given given what you're seeing coming in so it may be that children are coming in to you so I as an English teacher I remember teacher children would come in in year seven and it would become obvious to me very very quickly that a lot of the children that I was teaching had um had not um acquired the the literacy skills that that are required to access secondary curriculum so if you cannot um read and write to the level that is required to access the curriculum that teachers are being told that they need to deliver, um, whether that is within your interest or not, you know, you know whether reading um, a Shakespeare play in year seven, if you if you don't know your own address, for example, really is that you know meaningful for you? No, but that's obviously what we have to deliver. It became obvious to me very quickly that children um, didn't have the 
the the skills that they needed and then they are those children are going to find it incredibly difficult to access their environment if you cannot access your environment what is the incentive to stay on task what is the incentive to comply with what what you're being asked to do if you don't understand it and you don't see the point in it and then um, you have children who then display very challenging behavior and as teachers you are constantly juggling the need to fulfill the teaching requirements that are being um being asked of you and at the same time support children who may be displaying challenging behavior and then the other children in the class who are witnessing that as well so I think most schools most secondary schools in England try very very hard to support children with with um, challenging needs and with um, additional learning needs most secondary schools do and I think most teachers most teachers that I've worked with are committed to doing that however there are there are significant barriers to that and one of the barriers I think is that teachers as much as I mean this is a really difficult thing for teachers to admit sometimes but teachers don't they're not experts at everything and they don't know everything so you are trained to teach children your subject you are not trained to work with children who are coming to you with significant trauma in their lives you are not trained to teach children if you're a mainstream teacher who have significant learning needs so there are massive gaps as a teacher in terms of your expertise and that I think means that we need a much more coordinated approach in terms of education Um, the focus for schools in this country remains always exams and results actually if you look at models elsewhere there is much more uh, time and effort given to supporting young people's well-being supporting mental health um, supporting I think what would be described as soft skills empathy children working with one another understanding um, how other people work um, sorry I'm just being offered a cup of tea um, <laughs> I'll have one as well yeah it's very good at making tea um, so I think I think there are massive challenges there I think that as teachers like I say most of the teachers that I work with try really hard to support children um, under you know intense pressure um and it's and i'm not saying that that you know it's um sort of you know i'm not saying that oh it's it's a really it's really hard being a teacher and poor us etc but i would say that um the focus in this country in terms of education means that other um things that that need to be considered there is less space for that so in schools where you have significant challenge um there there really needs to be a much more multi-agency approach so you need to have lots of people working together you need to have organizations working with young people at an early interventions level not not in you know i've worked with lots of children who are really well known to, to the criminal justice system youth offending that is way down the line for those kids you know loads of opportunities have been missed by the time a child gets to an offend youth offending um uh center or coming out of a youth offending center i've worked with children who've come out of youth offending 15 16 they can't read they can't write they have undiagnosed needs so many opportunities missed um, and some of those opportunities are missed because teachers can't um, don't have the time they don't have the expertise they don't have the capacity but it's also because there are other things that need to be um, to, to be put in place as well so there are there are I think good models in some schools where you have um, um, independent organizations come in and support um, but I think the way that things are set up in this country makes it very difficult still for, for that to happen in a meaningful way. Uh, Sounds really depressing. Sorry. No, <laughs> no but it's, I mean, it's a reality and it backs up everything which I've probably seen in 20 years of working in this field. Yeah. I think it's interesting. So there's a couple of things I want to just pick up on. So you, yeah. you said you, you, you worked in a, in a people referral unit as well. And, yeah, I've worked. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think if people referral units, particularly in England and Wales get quite a bad rep yeah. uh, and I suppose when you look at what happened in Scotland so um, public, public health, health yeah. and how 
I think in 2018, there was only maybe one um, child permanently excluded in the whole of Scotland um, because of this zero exclusions policy, which they, they implemented. Uh, and in a nutshell, they had nurture units within schools rather than like separate pupil referral units. And that proved that actually as, as a multi-agency, like you said, multidisciplinary approach, mm-hmm. it lowered the, the murder rate, which was the highest in, in, in Europe at that, in 2005. Mm-hmm. So just what would your opinion be on pupil referral units? Because, you know, I think you, you talk about theory. There's lots of studies out there which talk about this, and we've spoken about on Power Talks quite a few times, this kind of um, uh, school-to-school exclusion uh, to pupil referral unit to criminal justice system pipeline. Yeah. And, and it surprises me so much. You talk about government. So my thing about government would be, it's interesting in the, in the previous election, um, the manifestos for, for, for the Tories was very much more enforcement, more support for for, for um, head teachers for more challenging children. Yeah. Um, get more police on, on the streets, etc. Yeah. Where, where Labour's manifesto was a lot more kind of, well, let's have more therapeutic care, therapeutic services. Um, let's try and implement this public health approach, um, yeah. this nurture unit approach. So just from your perspective around pupil referral units, what, what, what do we feel about them? And, and, and do you think we should be moving towards this this public health approach, which I know is a lot more kind of legislation and stuff, because we haven't got a zero exclusions policy in... No. I think, well, like everything, <laughs> there are... This, this, I think it's quite a thorny issue with, with pupil referral units. I mean, pupil referral units are... It's very, I, think, I think it's very complicated in the way that they work. Um, in terms of just just going back to what you were saying briefly about about government approaches, the the issue that I took with Sajid Javid and the issue that I take with um, current government and 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 the previous couple of governments' approaches to um, education, youth offending, youth violence is, as you say, it's a punitive approach. So it's an after the fact. Um, it's a it's a, a reactive approach to to what happens rather than a, a, a kind of um, preemptive preemptive or proactive approach so you're talking about dealing things with things after they've happened so you're dealing with children in schools who may be um, displaying violent behavior in schools disruptive behaviors in schools by giving teachers more powers to um, physically tackle those children and restrain them and all the rest of it that is that is something that you're putting in place as a sticking plaster after a, a legacy of failure so without wanting to go into kind of too much about my own personal political views, because I make no um, bones about the fact that I'm not a supporter of the Conservative Party, I'm not a supporter of Conservative Party policy on um, education or youth offending or, or any of the rest of it. I think it's important for us to, in terms of thinking about um, public health approach and going back to Prue's, I'll, I'll go back to Prue's in a second, is to consider the, the early intervention um, models and the things that need to happen as a starting point before you get to a child hitting somebody at a secondary school or um, being um, uh, exposed to and vulnerable to exploitation within gangs etc all of which I've experienced with children once you get a child who's gone into a pro um, and proves are very, very challenging places to work. They're also incredibly challenging places to go as a child because even the most challenging children, once they find themselves in a prove, it's an entirely different, entirely different setup. Um, firstly, you're not there full time often. Um, you're on a reduced timetable. You're amongst other children with incredibly challenging needs also. So you've gone from a scenario where you're in an environment with other children who maybe are functioning fine within that environment um, and, and you have some un, unmet need, which has meant that you have found yourself <clears throat> to be excluded from that environment. You then find yourself in a prue with other children who also have many, many needs. Um, so in a way, that's sort of a volcanic environment because you are taking all of the children who have not managed or the setting that they're in haven't managed to meet their needs, 
depending on how you look at it. And you're putting them all in one setting. So the statistics for those children are shocking. You look at how much more likely you are to go into um, youth offending if you've been in a pro, or if you go into youth offending, like you go somewhere like Felton, for example, where I've had experience, you look at the children there, you ask them how many of them have been in pros, you ask them how many of them have been excluded from school, you ask them, how, you look at their literacy levels, for example, they're, they're, all, they're all very similar. But my, my point around this, and, and going back to what I said on question time, is that it starts much earlier than that. It starts right at the beginning with families before they've even had children, families who maybe themselves are, are, are with, have challenges within those families. Then they have children. Those children need lots of support. You strip away all of that support and down 10 years, 11 years, 12 years down the line, you will find a child in a pro. These things don't happen um, just but by accident so children who and, and this is the this is the interesting thing about about the, the job that I do and, and, and other people that I, I know who are not teachers for lots of people um, these sorts of issues are, are well without well outside of their sort of consciousness unless one of their children happens to be mugged in a park for example which is terrible or their child goes to school and there may be a child there who has needs for a lot of people this is totally outside of their reality but for for teachers when when you um are working with children with with significant needs children who may go on to end up um being the victims or perpetrators or both often of, of violent crime these things um these situations and, and, and the children that find themselves in these, in these scenarios um, are as a direct result of, of all these things that have happened up to that point. They don't happen overnight uh, just by magic. So if you as a society don't value putting money into um, good childcare provision for children when they're very little, you know, one, two, three, four years old, supporting families, providing opportunities for those families, then you will find very, very quickly uh, children who are alienated from existing systems, alienated from existing structures in society. And by the time those children and their families get to secondary school, then of course you are going to find significant challenge. Of course, you're going to find children who are involved in violence because they have had years of uh, neglect, societal neglect. Um, so from, from that perspective, in terms, of, in terms of a public health approach, it's difficult with Scotland because, you know, this public health approach is, is, is used to justify all sorts of different things. And the problem with it, like anything, like even me referring to systems in other countries, is you have to, you know, everything is context specific. So what happens in England and bringing in things to work, it has to, has to work within this system. And, and you can't um, look, look to, to what was implemented in Scotland and just replicate it completely well, you, here. You it can't, doesn't you work. Can't. You can't drag and drop it. No. This. You can't drag and drop it. You can't play no. something. It doesn't, it, it doesn't work. What, what I think is important, what I think is sound, is, is a couple of things. One, the importance of early intervention. And you get uh, practitioners saying early intervention and people say, well, what does that mean? It means putting in place the foundations, the, fun the, the functional um, underpinnings to try to provide all young people with, with, with the right... Um, starting points in their lives so you try to mitigate against anything that is going to undermine those children having a happy and successful life from the beginning not after the fact after you've already got difficulties arising oh you've got a child coming in he hasn't had breakfast she hasn't had breakfast so therefore they're not going to focus in class they've done something naughty then they get excluded there are many things that can happen up to that point that society can put in place thinking you know collectively with lots of different agencies working together those are the things that need to happen as a, as a starting point um and i think my experience of, of of being a teacher mostly under conservative government and it's not bashing the conservatives necessarily but if you look at 
violence, you know, within the last 15 years, youth violence within the last 15 years, we have seen an exponential increase. Um, and ch happiness for children in the UK is, 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 is very, very low. Mm. Um, so I think there is definitely justification for saying that policies that have resulted in the reduction of, of funds for early intervention models, the reduction of funds for charities and organisations that can support young people, um, the increase in punitive approaches. Um, I mean, I haven't mentioned the police, um, but the increase in um, things like um, police in schools, stop and search, exclusions, um, having inclusion units within schools, um, the suggestion that, that staff, that teaching staff could um, have more powers of, um, you know, physical um, resistance to children. I mean, I find that horrifying, horrifying. Yeah. And I think most teaching staff would. Um, and, and that all comes way, way too late after you've, you know, and I think, I think again, as I say, the reason I got so cross about the um, stuff on Question Time was that to say to teachers um, that this, this stuff can happen at, at this point down the line when, when we know that, that lots of those children could have been helped and supported and put on slightly different paths with all of the support that has been stripped away. I, I find really, really sad. Yeah, I and, and I can totally, and I agree, it's it's crazy really that you can just lump it all in one one space and to say this is what needs to, this is this is the answer. I suppose, because um, I want to just come into close because honestly there's so much <laughs> to talk about, it's, it's, it's crazy. We need to do a part two. But I can talk a lot. <laughs> no, it's not, but it's helpful. It's very, very helpful just to hear uh, a teacher's perspective. One thing I just want to kind of close on really is what you said at the very start, um, many teachers who you've, who you've worked with start the race well and then end up kind of done, yeah. frustrated. And um, as a pastor in a church, I've had multiple people who have started doing, who've done Teach First, for example. Yeah. And I always say this, that we've got people who have maybe come from, uh, I don't even know, like North Wales or something like that. And I've always asked that question. I've always been a bit like, okay, like you said, you're coming in from North Wales. I've got family in North Wales, so I know what North Wales is like. And you're coming to South East London. Yeah. And, and, and I think you, you've, you've used a term, well, you didn't actually use this term, but a term what I like to use is like culturally competency. How, yeah. how culturally competent are you to really engage? And what frustrates me in a therapeutic sense is that some of the people and families we work with will never go anywhere near therapy because it's not culturally competent. And what I mean, yeah. it doesn't mean I'm saying that every therapist has to be a person of colour, but every therapist does need to, in my opinion, if you're working in a, in a, in a city context, understand yeah. the culture, what's going on. So, Completely. so very quickly, I just want to ask, what do you think then 2020 moving forward? And I know we're in this very strange COVID yeah. space, but um, what, do you think teachers need then? Or what do you need in terms of support? You're the guys who are teaching these, these young people who some of them end up becoming victims or perpetrators or both. You're the ones who are having to deal with parents who are also struggling. What is it that if you had like a, a you know, let's say three things you think the government needs to do and to help teachers really uh, help the most vulnerable young people flourish, mm. what is it you, you would be calling for? Well, I would call for, and and and, and I'm, I'm mindful that I've got friends and friends and colleagues who, who might watch this and go mad, <laughs> jump up and down, and say, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, but I would call for um, for for greater autonomy in terms of in terms of what teachers are doing. So we teachers in this country are absolutely in state education anyway. So there's an irony there that children in 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 private education where arguably challenges are a lot less you know there's a lot more freedom in terms of what they're taught in state education in the uk we are we are um directed by we are um we must follow what is set out by the department for education and and, and all of the um all of the curriculums and um 
the, the measures that we're, we're judged by as, as teachers in schools. But teachers aren't really involved in discussions around how that is shaped. So if I was going to call for something, I would say that the, the, the political... Um, the way that political ideology in this country shapes how education works is very problematic. So you have governments with particular um, political views shaping the way that education works in this country with very little um, consultation with, with teaching staff or with educational experts. So decisions are made, but they're not made based on any proper pedagogical or teaching and learning underpinnings. So I would say that teachers need to be far more involved um, they need to be the drivers of how the educational system in this country works because they're the ones doing the jobs. They're also the ones that know how to teach children. Um, you know, no disrespect to government ministers or their advisors, but unless they've actually taught in schools, it's very difficult for them to make sound judgments about education and teaching. Um, so teachers must be um, at, the, at the forefront of those decisions um, and they need to be part of... Um, shaping the way that education in the system look education system in this country looks so that's the first thing um, so we need to be rather than things being done to us as teachers and then we have we have to then just get with the program and, and put it in place Te teachers must be part of, of of shaping that that's the first thing the second thing i think is that when those discussions are taking place about how education should look in this country how schools are judged, um, what is important in terms of education, why are children going to school? Is it just that they pass exams? What are those exams for? Uh, how is that going to improve a young person's um, life and their outcomes long term? The, the, the necessary funding and resource that, that teachers feel is required to, to support the young people that they're working with must be there. And unfortunately, it isn't there. That's, that's the reality that you have. If you ask teachers and teaching unions about um, cuts, to, cuts to budgets, cuts to services, um, you'll find that they've been savage over the last 10 years. So I think the other thing that is, that is necessary to, to move things forward in terms of schools and teaching in, in, in England is um, to, to put in place the, the appropriate funding. Um, because if you're a head teacher and you've had your budget slashed, your school is going to be judged on, on exams always. It's not being judged on how happy your kids are. It's always going to be judged on exams. So the first things that will be cut from a school, if a budget is cut, is things like the school counsellor, getting, getting in an organisation to do an, uh, an assembly about knife crime. All, you know, all of those other things that should be happening in schools, they will be gone. They're the first things to go. Support staff teaching assistants, LSAs, people that um, support children in maybe um, supporting their learning needs, but also supporting their, their emotional needs as well. They are the first people to go if, if um, budgets are cut. So being able to drive the conversations around education, first of all, um, teachers must be at the forefront of that. The appropriate funding, I think, is the second thing. And then I would probably go... It's difficult because I'm torn between talking a little bit more about multi-agency working um, and people not working in silos, um, which is a bigger conversation, I think, and, and, and health and social care working together with education, but also just about um, how, what, it's a bit of a, I don't know, it's a, maybe it's a bit too philosophical, but, but why, 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 we, why we send children to school in the first place and what they're doing there. Um, if you look at curriculums in the UK um, or in England, if you look at curriculums in England, I, I, I question, especially as an English teacher, I question a lot of what is taught and why it's taught. Um, so I think that needs to be looked at. But that goes back round full circle, I think, to the first point, which is having teachers driving that conversation. If you ask somebody who has done the job for years and is doing the job every day what is needed, mm. you will get, by and large, pretty good information if you decide in a room of people who have never ever taught and have no experience of going to school other than the fact that well, no experience of school other than the fact that they went to school maybe and they are driving the agenda then then that is problematic i think i think you've nailed it and i think that is often unfortunately the people who are on the ground do not have a seat around the table no. uh, 
and I, I'm always surprised about that. Um, and I think I, I feel for teachers because I honestly think there is a there's there's an immense pressure. Every teacher I know, there's an immense pressure to get results. Yeah, and there's also an immense pressure to provide emotional support to the most vulnerable young people. So I think you're in this kind of the caught between a rock and a hard place in what you give your energy to, particularly if you haven't got the support systems in place to kind of back you up in that. So um, yeah, I think yeah. So I suppose what I want you to hear is that I have the most respect, utmost respect for you guys. And um, I think. It was brilliant, just the way you spoke out. I think there was a boldness and uh, a courage there, which, you know, I wish more people had. But, yeah, it's, I think it's brilliant. And we need more teachers like um, Eleanor, definitely. So, um, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if, my, if, if some of the kids that I've taught would say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we'll find some for the next for yeah, the, for I did, yeah, I bumped into some boys that I taught in Hackney who are now men. Um, a while ago and it was really lovely to see them and it did restore my kind of um, feeling of um, you know it's important to have stayed doing this for so long Um, I mean one very quickly one thing that I haven't mentioned which again is a conversation for another time and I think this would be good for for somebody who's better placed to speak to this than I am because I'm not as young as I like to think I am, I'm not a young person and I'm not a kid in school, um, is, is the voice of young people and the voice of children in schools. And, and that is something that also is very much neglected in this country. Um, and I say in, the U, in, in England, I don't know what it's like in, in, in the rest of the UK, but, but young people's voices in England in terms of how they experience school is, is, very, is very much neglected. So that's a whole nother I mean, that's a great point though and I think so much of this conversation is done about young people being around the table 100% so I, I totally I totally agree um, Ellen I want to say thank you for your time no, thank you're welcome. You for your energy and your hard work and um, yeah we, we salute you and um, yeah anything we can do to support you um, from Power to Fight we'll, we'll happily engage so thank you so much for your time really no too. you're welcome pleasure thank you so much no problem no problem